0: Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the
1: pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Hello. I am excited to recommend this book because my mum will be pleased because she got it for me and I just finished it last night.
0: (laughs) As in like, she got it for you years ago, she only just bought it for you.
1: No, she got it for me for Christmas. Oh, nice. Two years ago?
0: Oh, (laughs) I was like, this Christmas? Okay. (laughs) No. That's nice though. Okay, tell us all about it.
1: Okay, so it's (laughs) The Grandest Bookshop in the World by Amelia Miller. And I think lots of Australian readers and bookstagrammers probably did see this book on their Instagram or in bookstores. It came out a couple of years ago, and it's a cute little um, hardback with a lot of gold foil and rainbow around it, which I'm sure is why my mother bought it for me. It's about books, and it's got a rainbow on the cover. (laughs) Um, But it's a children's, it's probably middle grade, um, children's fiction all about the cole family in the book in their family bookshop the coles book arcade in melbourne in 1893 oh cool i think yeah um and i just read the little i finished it last night and i just read the little note at the end historical note that the cole family and the coles book arcade were actually all real and were all there oh wow yeah and unfortunately the like original, I suppose, Book Arcade didn't survive once. Um, Mr. Cole, father of family, uh, died. And so I think the bookshop was gone by, like, the 1920s. But this story takes place in the Book Arcade when a magician of some description, they call him an obscure smith mm-hmm. I think I'm saying that right? Anyway, um, comes in and... Mr. Cole has, like, he's tried to get uh, one of his daughters back who passed away a few years ago when she was very young. Also true. Died of scalp fever in the, you know, 1890s Mm -hmm. or 1880s. And in trying to get her back from a magician, he, you know, the deal goes bad. You can't bring people back from the dead. Never works. Um, And so two of his, yeah, no, it never works. (laughs) Um, Two of his children... Valentine, Valley and Pearl make their own deal with this magician and he sets them seven challenges as um over you know a day and a bit or whatever and there's riddles and like they have to figure out where the challenge is going to be in their arcade based on flowers that they find um and it's all very magical and wonderful but also in the way that <laughs> I am constantly surprised still by a lot of children's fiction and movies and everything where you think, I would have been terrified of this as a child. (laughs) You know, like these challenges, um, you know, I mean this book arcade sounds like so wonderful and magical and they go to different areas where there's like the lolly shop or the tea salon or you know the fernery and there's monkeys and like all of these fun things and then these challenges there was one where um they were trying to solve like a word puzzle and the like obstacle I suppose that was trying to stop them was that one of them was like turning to glass and one of them was like getting all like floppy and squishy and could barely and so both of them could barely move but could still think wow and then the one who was going to turn to glass like almost fell over and 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 then they're like oh my god what ha- what would have happened if i'd shattered before we solved it and went back to normal and it's just like you know those things where you're like and terrifying I know actually it's funny that you say that because
0: um (laughs) the author who we're chatting to today this would have been this would have worked perfectly the other way around because it would have been such a good segue into our author today with the trials and stuff (laughs) that those teenagers go through in happy head which we're going to be chatting about you know Later on in this episode, but yeah, I yeah. that would be
1: terrifying like, I them being similar at all. But yeah, that kind of thing where, like, obviously, it's like there's yeah, we'll get to the scary things in Happy Head, but you know, these things where you like, I, I had this um recently as well. There's a new movie on stand, The Portable Door. Oh, I really
0: want to watch
1: this, yeah, uh, yeah, it's very fun. And I watched it um over Easter and I was hanging out with my brother. And I was like, oh my God, he would have been so obsessed with this movie, like 10 years ago when he was like 10, 11, 12, you know? Yeah. Okay. And so I was like, oh my God, he would have been so obsessed. And like, we really enjoyed it. But again, there was like a couple of things where I was like, uh, terrifying. You know, like when you remember when you're a kid and you were terrified of the basilisk in chamber of secrets mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Some of these kids things have some scary moments, man. I know. But yeah. It, it, yeah or kids are just like braver than us <laughs> <But> maybe <laughs> really scary or something but it is um I, w- I like I mean I'm saying it's kind of middle grade but I suppose you know for anyone with children in their life listening I suppose you would know the reading level of those children um but because I think because it is like a little bit historical um and there's, there is some, like, probably, like, scary-ish bits. Like all the
0: middle grade, like, like oh, 10, 11, 12.
1: Yeah, probably. But, I mean, overall, it's, like, two children running around a completely magical world trying to solve a magician's puzzles to save their family and their home, which certainly you know, sounds very is magical. very fun. Yeah. And I think there is another book by this author, because, like, this one has a darker cover um with the gold foil and everything and I think I've seen another one in bookshops that has like a creamy cover Mm -hmm. don't ask me what it's called (laughs) but (laughs) I think there's another one so there might be a sequel as well now um because like I said it did come out a few years ago but there you go Mum. I read it (laughs) (laughs)
0: love that that's great um so my recommendation actually ties in really well with happy head as well and it is something that was recommended to us on an episode back in 2020 by laura k when we asked her for some recommendations um so i finally read
1: it (laughs) (laughs) all these long-standing recommendations i know
0: like this is just you know every we get this all readers get this um so it is The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle by Matt Kane and even just from like the cover the description I was like I know I'm gonna love this book so for ages I've been thinking I'll buy it because I think I'm gonna love it I do sort of wish I'd bought it. I'll probably buy a copy in the UK and reread it because it was really gorgeous, but I ended up finding it at the library. So I just grabbed it and then was reading it around the same time that we did the interview with Josh that you're about to hear today. And it struck me just um, a lot of the similarities with a lot of what we talk about later on in the episode Um, and like spoiler for our episode, like not a spoiler for the book, just a spoiler for the chat. Um, Josh shares some really amazing stuff with us and talks a lot about like his feelings about coming out and feeling like being gay was bad and having a lot of emotions around that and like we said to each other after like wow like we're so excited to share this interview with you because it was just really amazing and Josh was so generous with talking to us about those things. Um, And the reason that this is like a great recommendation for that is because The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle is all about a man called Albert. He is a postman in the UK in a little village in Lancashire, um, which is up north. um, And he is a few months off retirement age. He's about to turn 65 He lives alone with his cat. He's very content in life. He has his routine, you know, very classic, like everything's in place at the start, but you get this sense that maybe he's not that happy. Um, And then he gets a letter that sort of sends him into shock a little bit that, you know, in three months he will like compulsory retire from the post office. Um, And that's all he's ever done in life. It's what he did since he was a teenager. So it's that, that sort of classic thing in a book where something throws the main character's life into chaos. um, And then the second blow comes when, um, and this is like a bit of a, like a bit of a spoiler trigger warning for the book that his beloved cat dies. And, you know, it's, it's like, I say spoiler, but it's kind of not really. And also like, I think with any, I think with any animal death, like it's good to sort of just say, sometimes that these things happen, um, it's because his cat is a lovely old. And it's
1: like one of the factors that throws his life off as well. I'm guessing. Basically, yeah.
0: he goes through this grief for his beloved cat who's been with him for decades and he's still living in the house that he grew up in, that his parents lived in, but losing his cat and the retirement sort of spurs him into actually looking, like actually confronting what he's been hiding a long time around the shame He feels about having once been in love with a young man and when he was, um, I guess you, you kind of get a sense that something happened when he was a teenager and that's what you will find out through the book, but you get this sense that something happened, something happened with his parents and that really affected his relationship with them the whole time. So this house holds a lot of memories about his parents, a lot of memories of things that happened to him that really affected the fact that he then spent the rest of his life closeted. Um and yeah. so he goes and on like a journey. In
1: the house. Yeah. And like, like literally yeah.
0: repressing his own sexual identity. Um so then that spurs him to go on a little journey, little step by little step, get out of his comfort zone and finally meet the man or find the man that he was once in love with as a teenager but along the way of course he finds himself and he finds some friends and it's just such an up like it is it's one of those contemporary books which has a lot of um heartbreaking elements and like moments where you're like oh my gosh the emotions but overall it's so uplifting and like heartwarming at the end once he experiences all these things and also I just think it's such a it's such an interesting sort of snapshot we see a lot of um well not a lot of like you and I have read you know stories a lot of YA and stuff before where people are coming out even like happy head like we are about to discuss deals with Seb coming to terms with the fact that he is gay as a teenager and coming out as a teenager yeah so I think I think the narrative of an elderly man Going through all that um, when there is so much, I guess, against people, say, let's say over 50, even having sex and romance in their lives. I think to, to even like approach that, but then to be dealing with this idea that he's actually really got to come to terms with this whole part of his identity and hopefully embrace it. It just felt like such a unique story and actually um, at the end, because obviously like this is the Australian copy and I'm sure this probably wasn't in the original copy of the hardback in the UK, but it probably went into the paperback. But um, at the end there is a section where Matt Kane, the author, has done some interviews with people who would have been about Albert's age, so like mid-60s, because also back then... Um, believe that um homosexuality was still criminalized in the UK and even after it was decriminalized there was obviously still so much stigma around it yeah, um yeah. so for those people um that's obviously affected their whole life even if they were able to come out then and you know go through that so at the end, Matt has some extracts from some interviews he did with people who um, yeah, would be around Albert's age, late sixties, early seventies oh, cool. and their experiences, um, growing up gay and being gay in that time that is explored in, a in the book. Time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, so it's just beautiful. And actually, Matt Cain has a new book that's just come out, which I will buy as soon as we get to the UK because love's a hardback. Um, but he's also, <laughs> I've seen, um, and I'll put, a, I'll put a link to it, but I've seen he's actually working on, I think it's like a musical as well. So obviously, I really want to get tickets to go see that. Um, cool. So let me just pull it up. Yeah. Um,
1: just a quick live fact check.
0: Yeah. So the show, well, not fact check, I know it's happening, but the show is called Drag Addict and it's a new musical. Um, he's collaborated with some other creators to bring it to life and it's described as a fun, feel good show about what it means to be different and how we all need a place to belong. And it's opening in Manchester in July. So... I would like to go to that for sure. It sounds really, really good. That Hopefully, it's around for long enough that cool. I can can get there and and see it because it sounds amazing. Um, but yeah, I'll also share a link to his new book, which is called Becoming Ted, which I believe also deals with. Um, so I've just double checked to click like clicked the link. On his page, um, and it's about being true to yourself, reconciling dreams with family duty, and dressing up in drag. So, yes, please, sounds amazing. Can't wait to get the hardback of that. Um, but, yeah, The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle is my recommendation this week. And before we go to the interview, we probably should have opened with this, but we'll do it like after our recommendations. Um, I also have something that I want to plug. <laughs> this week a very big thing <laughs> you happened. sure do yeah so a very big thing happened for me and that is that the podcast that I've been working on for ABC for the last like six months or so um maybe longer is finally live and there will be links to it in this episode. You can listen to it or you can go to Podcast Player or the ABC Listen app and type in the History Listen and you'll see there are two episodes there called The Great Australian Camel Race Part 1 and Part 2 and they are episodes created by me. Yay! Yay!
1: Just, like, everything, everything, yeah, everything done by you.
0: Well, not everything because I was – Well,
1: not everything. You're not a sound engineer. No, I was
0: incredibly lucky and, like, Russell Stapleton, the sound engineer who put this together, I wanted to cry when I heard his – like, when I got the first mixes back and I, like, emailed him and I was like, Russell – because he was working in Sydney and I'm in Rockhampton and I was like, Russell, like, you have – Everything that I was imagining as I was writing, you have created in sound. Like it's, it just blew me away how much, because I work with audio every day. We have a podcast, I'm used to hearing my own voice, I'm used to editing. Yes.
1: It was, it was crazy when, when you played me like a snippet, when you were in Sydney, um, before we went to Ed Sheeran, I was like, music, sound effects. Oh my God.
0: Like, so cool. I'll, I'll sometimes put a little sound effect in a radio package, but like fully it, it gives you chapters in the story. It's
1: a full production. It's
0: amazing. So it is a full audio. I've been describing it as an audio documentary. It really is because it's so highly produced yeah. and also like we did six versions of this script. My first draft was 12,000 words. I think it ended up being about nine and a half thousand words. I've spent months and months and months on this. It is very like narratively polished and pulled together. And it really was a huge task to take hours of me talking to, I think in the end, like eight people. Um, so hours and hours and hours of recording with them and to bring it into this narrative where all their stories sort of combined and stuff. And I'm really massively fucking proud of it. Woo! (laughs) So yeah, that is out now. Um, yeah. And I'm just, it's, so I should just give you a little overview, give you a little taster of what it's about, give you just the gist of what it's about. The year is 1988. Uh, If, like us, you were born after that and don't know, that was the bicentennial year in Australia. And so there were a lot of big celebrations going on, um, you know, lots of colonialism issues with that. But anyway, basically, 1988 was a huge year. People were putting on bicentennial things all year. And a man called Arthur Earle, who was a property developer who developed like most of Rabina and Narang on the Gold Coast, um, which is near the area where I went to university. So very familiar with that. Um, he decided that he, he was originally from the bush. He decided he wanted to put up a hundred thousand dollars, which in today's money is about $230,000 in prize money for someone, um, for people to race from Uluru All through the Northern Territory, across the Simpson Desert, through Western Queensland to the Gold Coast on camels or with camels (laughs) because a lot of people didn't actually ride. If you ride camels that long, you will injure them, Um, but a lot of people would run and ride with their camels. Um, So yeah, then the story is how that race unfolds, the crazy things that happen Genuinely truth stranger than fiction. We've got you know, camels running away in the middle of a desert, leaving their riders. We've got infectious diseases, the likes of which have not been seen since, you know, <laughs> the first world war. Um, you've got a flooding, like really unseasonable flooding to get through. You've got like personality clashes and rivalries, because whenever you get a group of, say, like, because there's there's like 69 competitors, but then there's probably 200 backup crews. So it's like a small town of people roaming across the desert for three months. When you get that many people together, there's personality clashes and there's all this stuff yeah, happening. So, um, so it's the story of that. Um, so, yeah, the Great Australian Camel Race, that's uh, that's my thing. I made that thing.
1: <laughs> Yay. I'm so, so excited that it's out. You put so much work into it and – Yeah, it's out. Everyone can listen to it. So, you know, once you finish this episode, then you've got something else to listen to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we saved it for when both episodes are out. So now you can binge the full story. You don't have to wait because I do leave the first episode on a bit of a cliffhanger. So, yeah. Um, Also, before we actually throw to our interview, we should mention that we recorded this a few weeks ago. And since we recorded it, Josh and his lovely fiance got married. So we'll include a link to their very handsome photos. They both looked gorgeous. Photos look so good. I know. So like, um, what's the word? Like really like sleek and like, I was like, oh, they're just, they look so stunning and like, yeah, really handsome. So congratulations to Josh and David on your wedding. Um, And yeah, now in in kind of less exciting, but exciting for us, we're going to, cut to the interview we hope you enjoy it because we think it's like one of the best
1: oh it really is
0: (laughs) our guest today trained as an actor and has performed in the west end and on broadway But after deciding to change careers, he began training as a mental health nurse and now lives in Manchester with his boyfriend and their dog, Dodger. Happy Head is the novel that we are talking about today. That's their very first novel and we're very excited to be having this conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Josh Silver.
2: Hey, how are you?
1: Good. So excited to chat about this book. (laughs) Oh my God. Um,
2: I'm so happy to be here.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. That's so nice of you to say. I really just want to jump straight into this book because there's no way to talk about it without just getting straight into it. Let's do it. So to start us off, can you tell us, just for people who haven't read it, a bit about what people can expect from Happy Head?
2: Yes. So... Uh, this is the bit I have practiced, so Happyhead is <laughs> um happy head is follows the story of a young man named Seb and he is an anxious and uh, i'd say he's quite a conflicted young man, and his parents are worried about him he's not the happiest person, but he receives a letter which is drafting him into a new program that has been created but, aims to tackle the unhappiness epidemic of the teens uh, in the UK. Um, 100 participants are sent to the Scottish wilderness for 13 days to undertake assessments and challenges in order to try and help them become happy. Uh, Seb's a bit of a people pleaser. He wants to make people proud. And so he goes, you know, with all guns blazing, wanting to do the best he can. And his parents are thrilled. But when he gets there, the challenges and the assessments that the participants have to undertake start to become strange, uh, a little dark and increasingly disturbing. And although he tries to ignore that, um, he can't help but start to be drawn into another boy who is there, uh, another participant whose name is Phineas Blake, who kind of represents everything Seb isn't. Uh, he's sort of resistant to the programme and not desperate to impress and together the two boys must find out what's really going on and try and stop it before it's too late how was that
1: yeah (laughs) perfect perfect
0: yeah and it's such a fast-paced read as well like I immediately was drawn into this world and like it is it does get quite I guess, creepy and and dark, as you say. And yeah, it wasn't long before I was really like starting to worry for them and, you know, really concerned with what was going to happen. So it really is a very fast paced read, I thought.
2: I'm really glad to hear that. I think, yeah, it's it's Seb's um, sort of uh, denial of the strangeness of everything is, I I hope, quite fun to read um, because it's evident that things aren't quite right. But he he doesn't quite want to accept that because he's on this journey to to impress, isn't no, he?
1: No, he just wants to do the right thing. I I feel like that's Please something authority, that's like that really kind of
0: yeah, that's really relatable because I feel like if most of us were in that situation, you know, it takes a lot of courage to like be like Finn and and sort of say hey something's really wrong here it's much easier to go along with it and I know definitely like out of those I was like I would be much more like Seb like I'd just be like yes okay let's go um this is fine in fact I'd probably be even more like Eleanor actually be like it's (laughs) totally fine it's very very fine you know it's um I'll do anything
2: yeah I'm gonna be
1: the best at this whatever this is (laughs)
2: Yeah, I love that yeah. you, I, that, I think that's kind of what I really want people to take away from this, is is almost think, which one would I be in this situation, or, or you know, when I was 17, 17 you know, 17 years old is an incredibly important age, isn't yeah. it, and you're sort of at this juncture in your life where you're in the middle of a very vulnerable space, whether you think it or not, but you're becoming, you're, you're starting to gain your independence and your autonomy, and... You know, this this book is about whether those those young people are able to sort of find themselves within a system that is desperate for them all to be the same. Yeah. Really. And so I love that you were sort of thinking about which one you'd be. And I, I know exactly which one I would have been at seventeen, Seb obviously. <laughs> um there's a lot of me there's a lot of me in Seb. Uh, so so, yeah, I think that's – I'm really glad that you said that.
1: Yeah, it is funny that – Yeah, it definitely, yeah. Just your phrasing there, Michelle, of, like, which one I would be because that immediately <laughs> makes me think of our next question, which is – this will make sense, hopefully. Uh, one of the endorsements for the book said, it's like Hunger Games but better. And reading Happy Head really did remind me of, like, Hunger Games and Divergent and all of those ones. And when you said, Michelle, about, like, thinking what one you'd be, like, remember when everyone was like, oh, I'm Divergent. Oh, no, I'd be in candor or like whatever they were all called and like oh I'd be the first yeah. to die how you would in the respond to this weird situation you'd yeah be putting... it kind of it reminded me of some of those books and like the Hunger Games and Divergent that was you know when we were teenagers like 10-15 years ago all those books and I was wondering were you a fan of all of those back then
2: so that's a really interesting question <laughs> because I so, so i uh i loved reading as a as a kid i i, I didn't read things like the hunger games and Divergent. my parents my mom is she's an english teacher incredibly intelligent woman we didn't have much money growing up we we grew up on a farm in the lake district which is a beautiful part of the world but we didn't watch the tv yeah. um we read uh, and, and I this sounds like I'm trying to sound all uh, bookish but, but my mum gave us Dickens to read oh, yeah. so
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> no
1: YA yeah, so bestsellers I, I read... for you just the classic yeah, no, yeah.
2: <laughs> no sort of <laughs> dystopian futuristic thrillers but I so I grew up reading th- these these books that were sort of my mum's favorites yeah. really and so I didn't really read stuff like The Hunger Games or Divergent now since then as, as an adult I, I've obviously known of their success and, and seen the films,
1: yeah
2: <laughs> but I never read them and and actually what I'm I'm kind of glad about that because um, this dystopian world which I've created is, is born from a reality that I've experienced in, in my own life in terms of working in mental health mm-hmm. and how, how difficult it is for young people I'm really glad that people say it's similar uh, even though that wasn't sort of my intention to make it part of that group of novels
1: it's almost i almost feel like it's like this next generation of that kind of because it's not dystopian really happy head is scarier because it seems a lot more realistic it it
0: feels very like now yeah (laughs)
2: like it could happen yeah yeah Yeah, Yeah. and I think that's that's what I wanted to do. It's sort of a fine line between you know, like in the Hunger Games it's set in this world that is distinctly separate from ours, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. By the way, I love the Hunger Games <laughs> in terms of you know, what an amazing concept and yeah. you know, so such an amazing thing to get young people reading like that. But with Happy Head it's almost like that Seb could come out of today. Yeah, You know, absolutely. right here, right now. He's on Definitely he's on that. his way to this facility. And I think that's why I wanted it to be like, oh, shit, this 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 could could actually happen.
0: That reminds me a little bit of um, a book that we featured a few seasons ago called The Hush. Caitlin do you like like yeah. that was only set she she set that maybe like 10 years in the future or something yeah, and it was like to do with to like women's years. fertility and women's um it was like
1: half of all babies like, being like, born were dying and it was like crazy
0: that that was the thing is like it was very closely modeled on this world now and actually that was one of the first books I read that had any mention at all of the pandemic, like a very in a very passing reference of this thing happened, and it felt very like it just because of when it came out, we were like, oh, that's really interesting that you just made a very passing reference to it. Um, but yeah, it's very similar in that it could be sort of nowish in a or few in like years, three because...
1: five years. Which is yeah. terrifying.
2: Do you guys like The Hamlet's
0: Tale? I haven't actually read that no, yet. No. I've, I've Have not you seen it. No, no. Uh, I've watched Gogglebox. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you so you so
2: you watch people watching
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I <tell> how <laughs> I watch anything it's scary the, is watching people watch it. it
2: <laughs> so it's the most brilliant for me. The most brilliant book. Margaret Atwood is a complete genius oh. because. It could happen. I think that's why I love it so much, is because you just think, "Whoa, this this could be the world in ten years' time." Um, mm. and, sh- and that sh- that book, I did read, but I read it at school as part of my A level class. You know, yeah. so not not uh, not to enjoy, but <laughs> then I watch the TV show, and it's just the most Chilling. thrilling thing. Mm. And the reason that is is because you're constantly thinking, "Whoa." Th- they, they got to that point and it, and it makes it all the more scary. Like Yeah, like absolutely.
1: Said. The most terrifying thing is, oh, are we a year away from the world getting to this point? Like, oh. Yes.
2: And also because yeah. in, in England, I don't know, I, I know that the health system in Australia, I know you treat nurses a lot better than we do, uh, than our system does over here. Um, that's why so many of our nurses are moving uh, I won't get too political on it, but you know. I was, I know, page, I was going to ask you uh, though,
0: because I do. I was going to mm-hmm. ask you about it, especially if you're still working as a nurse at the moment, because mm-hmm. I have a friend who's a mental health nurse in Sheffield as well. So, I'm really interested oh, to, yeah, sort of hear a bit more. Tell us a bit more about that, actually, and you know, I guess how that you did mention that that sort of experience inspired the novel. So, yeah, tell us a little Massively. bit. Yeah, tell us a bit about that.
2: Okay. Okay, let's go back. So, I used to be an actor. Yes.
1: We're going to ask more about that uh, later. Yeah, we might circle back okay, there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
2: Okay. So let's jump to. So as I started nursing, uh, I started the degree. So in England, you have to do a three-year degree, um and I had already had one. And and I, as an actor, and I retrained because the acting industry wasn't making me happy. So I wanted to do something completely different, and I. I'm very impulsive person and I literally made the decision in a couple of days and I enrolled and I started the course and I loved it and I did 3 years of training over the pandemic uh, oh, wow. and I was working on the wards as a healthcare assistant while I was training and I was also writing Happy Head at the same time now the reason Happy Head was sort of born out of this experience um because I was working on on a ward for young people and um You know, it's it's they're quite difficult places to be. I'm sure you can understand that um, in patient settings, young people, Um, and a a lot of what happens, you know, it it, it can it can almost be against. You know, some of these people aren't there through choice, and some of the things that they're they're asked to do can be, I would say, objectively quite uh, put them in quite a vulnerable place, especially in sort of therapy sessions you know trying to sort of establish a path forward and also the reasons why they're there and the reason I say this is because I was in a in a session with a a young lad and he sort of looked at me during it and there was this sort of look on his face of like what are we doing and we had a conversation after and he was like oh you could kind of just tell us to do anything Uh, and 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 I said oh you know that sounds a bit like a dystopian <laughs> but like, well, you know he
1: shouldn't, though.
2: Yeah. yeah yeah and he said well you should write it so then i wrote oh, it wow. <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Um,
2: and I, yeah so the nhs is its own system you know it's in in england it's a beacon of hope which you know that's it. it is yeah. best is it it is free healthcare for people and uh to be a part of that is amazing but it's currently on its knees the government that we're currently under are doing their best to cripple it so that they can privatize it, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, this is my opinion. I speak <laughs> uh, c- completely from my own point of view. Uh, it's infuriating for someone who works in the middle of it because, you know, nurses just have absolutely no, doctors, nurses have absolutely no support mm-hmm. um, and having to deal with really, really a lot of pressure uh, and people are leaving. Uh, the system enjoys. and that speaking.
0: just contributes it contributes more pressure, doesn't it, because then you guys are you've got people leaving, so you're filling in for more people. And I mean, I saw um I saw some of the discussion around the nurses and strikes, um, which, you know, for people mm-hmm. who don't know, was like the first time in was it like one hundred and forty years or something that they'd done strikes? Yeah. And, you know, people were commenting on some of the posts saying, the, the irony is that on strike days we will probably have more staff than we do most days to meet minimum staffing requirements. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a... I didn't realise, though, like, when we read your bio, um, I didn't realise that, like, the transition had been so recent. And obviously through such a traumatic medical time um, and, and a time yeah. when things were really up in the air in England. I was there during the pandemic, so I know, like... How many lockdowns? How many things? Like, and and what a yeah. time that a student and a training health.
1: nurse during that time must have been. Yeah, so difficult. <laughs> Do you know what? It was actually
2: the most amazing thing for me because I don't think I could have stayed sort of cooped up in our one bedroom flat in London. Yeah. Uh, it would have driven me crazy. So well, I was of course, out yeah, creatives were out of work, work. work as
1: well. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, 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 Very, very much sort of everything stopped in the creative world, didn't it? Mm. Uh, I know a lot of people took to writing because it was a way of uh, of sort of occupying their time while this was all going on.
0: So had you kind of written much before this or was it that sort of spark of an idea and you just thought this is a great story? I had
2: written a TV show with my boyfriend, but it was for no one to ever see and we were just having a lot of fun. (laughs) Um,
0: That's the best way to do things. That sounds great.
2: We wrote... uh, (laughs) Do you know what the Great British Bake Off is? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so we wrote uh, a sort of uh, dystopian version of the Great British Bake oh, Off. Oh, how
1: interesting! Um,
2: which, which is you know how how we we just wrote where people start doing incredibly strange things yeah. on TV um, in order to try and win, and we just did that for ourselves, and and then we started um, writing another together so my my partner's an actor I don't know if I've mentioned that but he's uh he's a creative person too so you know we 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 enjoy sort of throwing ideas around between us and just letting ourselves you know think uh you know we like we like to create things um yeah exactly and we made uh we had he he's just written a play actually which was nominated for uh, an award in in England. It's about Magnus Hirschfeld, who was in. Uh, do you know what? I, I feel like I'm just going down a tangent here. <laughs> I'm finding um, it interesting. Uh, Go for it. <laughs> okay. Well, he it, Magnus Hirschfeld is this amazing LGBT um, figure from from history. He was he was in Germany in the uh, in the 30s during the rise of the nazis and he created this safe haven for lgbt people oh. Um so he, david wrote a play about That's that amazing. Um, so he was doing that and i was writing this book um but i was also working and doing a degree at the same time so we hardly saw each other <laughs> and i was sort of coming in and diving into my laptop and i was taking my laptop to work with me and writing on my breaks and then i was I was doing night shifts. I worked at this amazing place where we would get three hour breaks on the night shift. Now I'm not sure if ever my boss is listening to this, that those three hour breaks were supposed to be in place, but it was a very small ward with not many patients (laughs) and lots of staff for once. So I would go and take my break and I would write uh, on my break. So I do lots of night shifts and uh, yeah, and then happy head came. It was just something that I just... It sort of just flooded into me, and I just knew I had to write it. Uh, that sounds wanky, but anyway, that is how I felt. <laughs> I mean, so, um... after
1: years of talking to authors about this, like, I think I just... I used to think it was kind of bullshit when people would say things like that, or, like, the characters were just talking to them, or whatever, but I've heard enough people say oh, it yeah. now. Clearly, some people have sure. that... some Like, have yeah. something where they can feel that and, like, just an idea seems to come I certainly from
2: nowhere. Didn't have the ho- yeah, I, d- I certainly didn't have the whole plot just land yeah. in my head. Do you know, what I mean, I think it was more the concept of these these vulnerable kids going through a system that manipulated yeah. them to do things against, that, that ultimately maybe they didn't feel like they wanted to do, um, and, and that it pride on their vulnerability and their need to impress uh and that was the idea that i had in my head and then happy head uh came from that yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: um we're going to talk more about your publishing journey later like literally taking it to the publishers and stuff um but before we move on to our next question i do just want to say that i don't know why i didn't look this up before but i was like looking on your social media today and i realized that your partner is an actor and then i was like oh my god caitlin he was in my Policeman, and like this is our six oh. degrees of separation to Harry Styles now. Like, <laughs> the closest out. The closest we're closest we're ever gonna get, Josh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he was in uh, My Policeman with, with Harry Styles and Emma Corrin. Uh, yeah, what what a mad thing. Uh,
0: <laughs> we were just, just like, oh wow, that's so cool. Like, I mean, we're two girls from yeah. regional Queensland. It's it, that's just very <laughs> cool having. Any yeah. sort of link. like I mean, you, I was on the yeah, floor of Harry like...
1: Styles' concert, like, two weeks, like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, whatever, by the time this happened <laughs> and everything. Yeah, I mean, I, like, he played, you know, two massive, massive shows in Sydney and did his Australian tour oh. here, like, over the past few weeks. What but even moment. still, this connection is probably a better chance <laughs> i ever having Harry a of, you, you know I actually, I
2: actually, I actually never met. I actually never met. Um, they filmed during the during the pandemic, yeah. Yeah. and um, it was all very sort of strict in terms of rules around keeping them safe from from yeah. COVID. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, Which look fair yeah, enough, but love... it's a shame.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, David, when are we gonna meet? <laughs> uh, yeah, but. Yeah, it's a a beautiful film Um, and uh, David, Harry and Emma did a wonderful job in it and Michael Grandage, who is the director, actually worked with him years ago uh, when I was an actor, um, which we might come to. Yes, we will. will, Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, sorry, that was just a little thing where I was like. That's a little fun, That's a, it's a little fun thing. Um, yeah, but so jumping also around as that we like, do. I've, I've been a journalist and I have way more interesting connections to this podcast I do in my spare time than anything I've done as a journalist. Oh, right. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously like we mentioned the comparison to hunger games and stuff but happy head also has something Mm -hmm. that none of these other books had which is a queer main character and obviously that's a huge Mm -hmm. part of the story as well (laughs) it's hard to discuss this without spoilers too much um so if people are really concerned about that maybe skip ahead a little bit but we wondered was it like quite emotionally uh draining i guess to write about the scenes in the novel where people are being paired up and there's a discussion of I guess what this ideal future sort of looks like um and it's very heteronormative um and this Mm -hmm. feeling that Seb has of being in danger um and there is you know there is
1: some answer the questions honestly
0: yeah
1: it was it felt like difficult to read I imagine it was difficult to write
0: and and the more that we learn too about like his his sister and like a a situation where he was outed that was it was really difficult to read so yeah how did you find that to write
2: so I honestly found it really cathartic to write because I felt in a way that's sort of how I have felt a lot as a young gay man
1: yeah Um, like keeping your cards cards close to your chest kind of thing
2: well, not just keeping my cards yeah. close to my chest, but like tearing up the cards and throwing oh. them because I never wanted anyone to know I was gay yeah. when I was that age and I did everything I could to not be. You know, I, that sounds awful, but it's true. And I grew up in a very religious home Um my parents are wonderful people, but the context of my upbringing was very... Uh, narrow-minded and I was so terrified of being gay I I was you know I was convinced it was bad and wrong and you know Seb like I said there's elements of me and Seb and I think actually it was emotional in a way because that part of me is is in Seb and you know in a world that you know at the moment there's so much going on in terms of LGBT rights and um sort of Embracing everyone for who they are uh, and allowing them to be themselves without sort of brushstrokes, stigma, and and you know fearmongering and you know hatred that just completely destroys the identity of people. Um, and I I was terrified of ever allowing that part of me to be real and. So, Seb, yeah, Seb, Seb, it. Part of the nature of ha- the Happy Head project is is it, it sort of harkens back to traditional values in terms of a heteronormative, nuclear sort of. Yeah, like, I don't want to get into it too much either because <laughs> I don't want to give yeah. too many spoilers. Yeah. But but the ultimate aim is is archaic, yeah. and and Seb does have to deny himself, because but that's his need to impress, winning out, isn't it? Yeah. and I and that is very much that conflict within him so the challenges and the assessments that they they force this conflict within him impress others and be yourself they push them apart within him until it gets to a point where he has to decide which he's gonna do so yeah it was it is it was emotional but also sort of really i feel like i got it out of me i have so much anger inside me that i that i spent so much of my life in that state you know I'm angry at I, I get very angry at myself that I allow myself to be like that but I get very angry at the systems and that we live yeah. in that they just that they like make society people feel general. like that
0: yeah <laughs> yeah
2: just like how dare you make you know it's a quite a it's a bigger thing it's a it's a it's but how 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 do people manage when when the systems we live in are so hellbent bent on on wanting people to sort of fall in line and and do as they're told and uh, you know and, and, and our society is rooted in 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 these more traditional values that that celebrate heteronormative male dominated straight dominant you know
1: yeah yeah absolutely values yeah,
0: yeah. um oh, random side note question how did you feel especially as um you know someone who grew up in the north seeing um john and johannes dance on strictly uh being like the first oh, male because i know he was from up north so like good yeah how did it like do That's you, such
2: a cool reference i, I am obsessed we told you, to with with Strict, you michelle
1: wants to be british <laughs> i am pretty much british
2: um <laughs> me and my me and my me and david would sit down every saturday night and watch that when they were on and just like it was emotional so, and, and, yeah. and i know it sounds well maybe it doesn't sound silly it's strictly come dancing a a, a wonderful show a wonderful family show but the fact that there were two men up there dancing on stage and they were being critiqued and judged as equals for their dancing not for who they are was emotional yet what a beautiful thing to watch and johannes
1: i watched
0: so many of them i love him so much i really want to see Anyone who knows us um, or listens to
1: this show regularly knows that Michelle's obsessed with Strictly and got me into it. In fact,
0: during during lockdown, (laughs) I was doing Giovanni... Peniche's dance classes every day. And so lockdown lockdown three, I was, and I'm still in touch with all the women who did that. And when we came over in, I did like a live dance class with Giovanni. And one of our friends saw the photo of me. Did you meet him? Yeah, I did. And I got a photo and my friend was like, I've never seen you look happier. And I saw you get married three weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it was
0: so funny oh, and when I was over there like, like for um, like
1: when
0: we I made a little it. book for him and everything him and yes. Kai it was when they were, yeah oh he, my
1: yeah. gosh and yeah. when I went over was Kai
2: on Strictly
1: yeah, June, this is, this before, this is, yeah this is before is before. he was relatively new yeah well he, so he the was the ensemble dances
0: wasn't he yes he, he was ah, he yeah. okay. was in the he was but he got announced he got, got promoted, announced and it was after we'd done lockdown dance classes so we were all Voting for them and stuff. Um, That's
2: beautiful. I can't believe you yeah. made them a book. Did they get the book?
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, they we sent them copies. Um, it's like signed. My the the lovely ladies got it signed for me. Um, That's
1: so but nice. But, yeah,
0: actually, Caitlin, I was—I haven't told you about, um Giovanni's show next year. I've, I'm getting tickets with some other oh, women. I mean, of course, I was like, finally, yeah. I can book. Now that we're moving back, I can book all the shows. Um and I invisibly but yeah, no, last I, year I for Michelle's Strickland.
1: wedding. She was like, so it's Halloween week, so you have to be back in your hotel by 6 p.m. to watch Strictly. And watch I was Halloween. like, okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, because dancing, dancing with the Stars here is really bad and really dorky (laughs) and really lame and they have no money and i was like no 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 caitlin you don't understand like strictly is a whole other level of money and just extravagant it's quite
2: yeah and it's quite um it's really well done like and, and the format stays the same every year and it doesn't get old except now that they're introducing couples which you know are of you know the same gender or uh, they're they're mixing it up in that way but people love it over here uh and and yeah but you know sadly i think um john and johanna still got hate from a lot of people you know people who are still stuck in that way of thinking that should not be on my television how dare you make me watch that while i'm eating my dinner two men dancing together that makes me sick you know and and that still exists here in our society Um, no, it does, but that but that spurs me on even more. Oh, yeah, and that's funny. why it's so
1: important I, thing for that I thought for them to be dancing in front of you while you were yes. dinner.
2: Yeah, oh, like yeah. how
1: would you have? Yeah, and I think... do you think do
0: you think that would have changed anything, even just a tiny bit, if you especially had seen someone who was also from the north dancing like that?
2: It would have changed everything for me as a young boy. You mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I just didn't have that when I was growing up. I didn't have. The, the only sort of representation of gay people I had was, like, the, the media outing them and shaming them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. that it was this huge secret, like... I remember Stephen Gately, uh, who was from Boyzone. I think it was Boyzone or Westlife. I think Boyzone. Um, and there was this whole huge thing about him being gay. And it was all sort of... You know, it's so sad to think back to, but it was all shrouded in this sort of, like... Um, like taboo a, sort of like a look, we found revelation out relation um, kind of thing
1: mm, yeah. yes
2: exactly mm. and and i just so that's what i had uh and all oh, but i remember staying up late and watching queer as folk which is a mancunian yeah. tv show yeah. about gay men on canal street which is the gay street in manchester and just sort of like watching it with my eyes wide open <laughs> like oh my God, what is this and then like I could hear this I could hear my mum coming down the stairs and I'll quickly flip it over to like you know blue peter or whatever yeah. <laughs> um but
0: but it's it's funny but... it is it's it can be so pervasive and sadly my dad was like quite homophobic and um when we even when we were going to the Mardi Gras pride parade in Sydney I was like I feel like so like I'm breaking all these rules like my dad would say really horrible things when it was on TV or because it's televised yeah. here or like switch it off or, and I just said to Kate and I was like I feel so weird but I'm like I'm really 30 and I'm I'm going to this thing and like owning the fact that you know I'm on the asexual spectrum and like I'm, I'm doing it and it but it felt like it was so weird so I can't even imagine like yeah having and that's well, well not even like a... And- we had so much fun. Caitlin was surprised was I got as into it as I did.
2: It was oh. the best. I think,
1: oh. you know, you when were figures it was, of all. It was great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had not had a drink. This is the thing. I don't need alcohol to act that way.
1: <laughs> well done.
2: The... I don't drink either, but I don't drink for other reasons. I've been sober for six years now. Which, Congratulations. Um, so yeah. I'd have been there right there with you, dancing, yeah. completely sober. But, um, yeah, like you said, um, growing up is sort of, with those people above you, or in those figures of authority that that, like, trying to you know, I I grew up in an inc- an incredibly religious environment, and I just say it again that my parents are wonderful people, um, but what was instilled in me was that uh, gay people are wrong and bad, going to hell. You know, the word abomination was used a lot, mm-hmm. and. That lived in me, and it's still in me, you know. And I correlated that to ultimate, you know, badness, evil, the devil. Yes. As a seventeen-year-old, having that going on inside you, it's traumatizing, you know. And and I and I get very angry, very passionate about it, you know, because it, it just. It's terrifying for people to have to go through that, yeah. um, and it was for me too. And I think so. What I, the reason writing Zeb is personal because he has to break away from, or he, he, you know, that's what he should do. Uh, uh, read the book and you'll see if he does. Is to sort of find to stay, hot, stay true to himself mm-hmm. against all of this noise that's coming out and telling him to be completely different mm-hmm. to who he is. And that's, that, I think that's the most important part of my book. Um, there are, you know, there are the, the challenges and the assessments, which I hope are fun and sort of tense and intriguing. But but the bit that I want people to sort of come away with is, is that notion of, do I do I, stay true to who I am in situations or do I say things because I, w- I think other people want to hear them? Do I do things for the benefit of other people over what I truly believe? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I got quite deep. Yeah,
1: though. No, no like you fine. did, but you um, also and just actually, answered our next question without us yeah, asking it. I, uh, I actually, well, um,
0: I wanted to ask too in particular, because I saw on your Instagram when I was talking today that you said some really lovely things about your partner. Um, and, We don't, we, it's it's not about your partner, it's about you and your book. At the book launch. But I, you, you wrote something and you said something really lovely at the book launch and I wondered if you wanted to share something along those lines to sort of... But
2: that is, that is tied into my book.
0: Yeah, because we have just sort of talked about the dark stuff, but yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, like, I would never have written this book if I hadn't have felt safe and secure in a gay relationship. Yeah. my boyfriend and i well, he's use my fiance actually—we're um, <laughs> getting—we're get, we're getting married soon. um But you know, if I if I told my my younger self that I'd be, you know, engaged, which is such a sort of—I didn't want to get married for a long time because I I really associated it with with heteronormative no. traditional values, which I hate. But then, you know, me and David spoke about this and we thought, let's just smash all that up and, and, and do, anyway. do this for ourselves. Yeah. And
0: do you follow, yeah, do do you anyway. follow Jules um, Von Hepp?
2: No. Oh I my God. Okay. Is. Should I know he, who that is? Yeah.
0: He's amazing. Um, he's a, he has a British, um, like spray tanning company, but anyway, he got married, um, to his, to his boyfriend. <laughs> okay. I'm on it. His boyfriend and he—he he had this whole thing. He was like, "Who says only brides can wear white?" And he wore the most amazing white suit. It was wow. incredible. He's just fabulous. I, yeah, love him. But yeah, that just made me think of that, like smashing the I'll, stereotypes. I'll look him up. Yeah, he's—he's he's great. I might need he's a little funny. spray
2: tan for my wedding <laughs> because of the awful think, weather that we're going to. I think coding. he
0: used to spray tan people for Strictly as well. <laughs> All comes back. Did He's he? such a random, again, with you, the random That's standards. how you
2: know him, really, isn't it? Oh no, I, I used to listen to his podcast crazy.
0: before <laughs> that, but yeah.
2: Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, yeah so, so my relationship with David is, is hugely important to me. And like he, you know, he. I would have never been able to write this book if I hadn't felt like I, I could sort of be secure and happy and safe and in, in this, in a place where... Uh, I'm able to write those words down because, you know, and it still makes me nervous. It still makes me anxious sort of uh, talking about and saying it because it is so deeply entrenched in me that being who I am and standing up for that is... uh, you know, part of me still thinks it's not okay because it's, like, in my bones, you know, and I do everything I can to get rid of it. And, and having a, a, a relationship like the one I do with, with you know, with, with someone like David, it, it just reinforces and helps the belief that I, I you know, that being who I have, I have something to say and that it's important to, to allow other people who might be struggling with with being themselves um that sounds a little crass but it's true know, isn't it that,
1: that they yeah. that
2: they can and that it's okay to struggle as well that it's that it's you know of, you know of course you're going to struggle the world is you know the systems we live in are against you yeah. that's so hard you know
0: yeah, yeah. No, and how do you feel about the idea that you know there might be other teenagers who Feel the same way as Seb, feel the same way as you used to, who will be reading this now and it, it, it might help them accept themselves a little Honestly, bit.
2: Honestly that, that yeah, that's all I want from this book. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on within the publishing industry and in terms of sort of sales and all that, but I just want people to you know, if in fact I have had messages from early readers oh, who have said Similar stuff, you know, and, and it it just makes me know that it should be that I'm so grateful. Uh, I'm so proud that I did it, you know, because that's all I want is I never had that when I was growing up, and just to be able to. So so the book kind of asks you to live inside Seb's head for the 400 pages, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think
1: you're really there with it. Go
2: through this conflict with him. Yeah, yeah, and I wish that I had had been able to live in inside someone else's head who was experiencing the same thing as me i think it would have made me feel a lot less lonely um so if that if it can be that to to someone then that's that's all i want
0: because i think too and i wonder whether this is this is true this is just what what i sort of assume not having been through it myself but it must be hard if you're in that position and questioning and doubting everything yourself uh, having had all this talk your whole life that this is what this is if your only representations of gay people as well are very confident and very out there it might feel like too much of a leap to like actually do you know what I mean so having someone a, yeah, like person, Seb yeah. Um, yeah to go through that process with him and to say actually it's okay if you feel conflicted and if you feel like this like it's a really interesting representation um, as well and obviously like we always talk about it's great when there are stories where the character is just gay and that's fine and like it's not about them coming out but I think this is a really interesting story where it's about them like I guess in a way coming out to themselves and accepting and being okay that and and knowing that yeah,
2: yeah. and also just like uh, like exactly like you said not having to sort of scream and shout about it in a, in a, in a very confident way you know I've arrived at this place where I'm totally free and happy to be who i am but more of a quiet understanding that it's okay yeah yeah you know i think i think well i, I don't want to ruin the book
0: so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just, we won't say yes. anything more about the book um so we actually covered like more questions than we um had anticipated about the book so let's have a chat about your career pre-career change um because we both love musicals. Caitlin yeah, has we, been we in many many, many musicals. <laughs> questions. Um, so, so we so we see that in a bio, and we're like, ah, oh, yes, let's talk about this.
1: What
2: are your favourite musicals?
1: Oh god, I, can't even I, <laughs> I mean, this is <laughs> mine's is absolutely not my favourite, but I actually oh. just watched Cats for the first, like, the movie for the first time over the weekend, and it's bloody awful. What did
2: you think? <laughs> <So bad>. <laughs> <laughs> But kind of fun to watch. Oh, right? it is
1: kind of fun, and it's not actually any worse than Cats the musical is itself because it's bad. So the
0: whole concept of Cats the musical is crazy.
1: Yeah, it's so, bad. Yeah. But no, yeah, we when saw Back we to the Future together, in saw... London as well. Yeah, Back yeah. to the, oh, and the Future and Matilda, and I also Matilda's saw
2: beautiful. May
1: love that. I've seen it really still... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah I love... Have
2: you have you seen the film?
1: Yeah. yeah. So
0: yeah, good. which we love that my, my partner's, like, my husband's such a snob. He was like, now that he's seen it twice on the West End, he's like, oh, it was better live. I was like, oh my God, you're oh, such a no,
2: that dance sequence. was with, really good, The dance yeah. sequence with the girl in the beret. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I've, so t- cool. I've attempted to
0: They take to do some cool songs so out, times. though. They take some cool bits out. that but like, I really the enjoyed did the sequence the for which is a shame,
1: but when I good. grow up because obviously on stage yeah. it's just, like, swings, yeah. and I really enjoyed that sequence yeah. in the movie. There was some really cool things done there. Was
2: Tim mention part of the script writing for the film?
1: Yeah, Not I sure, think he was actually. involved in the oh, film yeah. a lot. I, yeah. Because I totally... he wrote the
2: script for the, for yeah, the, yeah. for the musical, thing, yeah. and yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, the music, so,
2: um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Uh, so... Never been in a musical myself. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I was not I, I at wasn't RADA, actually. Uh, I went to drama school. So, yeah, so when I was 17, I got a place at RADA in London and moved down from Manchester, and, you know, there's all this expectation around that. I think, uh, as, I, I, like Seb, I was desperate to sort of do well, and I worked really hard at school and, like, got good grades and... Uh, Got a place at a good university but didn't go which you know uh, against lots of my teachers sort of to, to, to their horror yeah. I, I, I decided to go to drama school instead and then I, I came down to london after all this pressure to sort of do well drama school was a, a really really difficult experience for me i can only talk about my own experience in terms of mm-hmm. what that was like but it was not nice um i was very sort of you know i look back on it now how, how many years later? Nearly fifteen years later. Whoa. Uh, and I think you know, I was a very in a very vulnerable place. You know, I was a closeted young man who was desperate to impress people. And um, at drama school, you know, my experience of it was that they, they can ask you to do some very, you know, almost traumatic things. In order that, you know, you uh, know, for example, we would do emotional recall classes and sort of ask you to reveal stuff about yourself. With the sort of proviso that if you don't you can't be a good actor because you have to tap yeah. into if this you've ever,
1: like, been
0: through Do you think that that did that? I mean, that mm-hmm. sounds like like it might've influenced some of the uh, trials yeah. and experiments that happen in the oh, book.
2: Massively. Yeah. Mm,
0: yeah. yeah. If
2: you didn't know this whole book is a takedown of
0: drama. <laughs> school. No, uh, secretly.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. No, because what, what massively influenced the book, my time at drama school, because yeah. I felt, that lots of us were doing stuff that we didn't want to do yeah. because we need, we felt the need to impress and we were told it's what we had to do to be a good actor, um, which is bullshit. <laughs> like <laughs> it's
1: complete rubbish. Yeah, I don't really think there's and, any rules, and, you know, is there? It's acting. Like
0: It's like, it's just like writing and stuff too. Like, yeah. There there's no
1: one way to, to do to
0: it. Be... Yeah. There's so many different ways. Absolutely to do not.
2: It. But I remember this one class I was in, you know, I'm, and, 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 um, we had it was this thing called master and slave, and there were and one of us had to be the master and one of us had to be the slave. Mm. And, ugh, I can't believe this happened, you know. It, yes. it is mad to me. Yeah. And 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 we would have to if you were the slave, you'd have to do whatever the master asked you. And people were doing the most yeah. bizarre things and putting themselves in very vulnerable positions, but we did it because we were told to. And, mm-hmm. And then we came out of the room and everyone sort of couldn't look at each other and was like, what, what did we just do?
1: Yeah. You realise what there, someone asked you to do it. or what you asked someone to do because you were given power. Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: And, and I think that, that underlying notion of you sort of blinkered when you're in that vulnerable place, you blinkered to what, staying true to who you are and, um, I must just reiterate: this is my experience of yes. yeah. drama school. I know that I know lots of people that had a good time at RADA and really enjoyed RADA.
0: Yeah. Well, it, but <laughs> but, it's um... interesting that you say that, though, because again, a few years ago, we had a guest on who wrote a memoir called *The First Time I Thought I Was Dying*, and one of the essays in that was about her experience um, in acting classes. I think Caitlin, and she was talking about some of the, the things that they were asked to do that would be really considered. Very unsuitable. Were they not in that context of a drama class? I'm pretending. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think that was the first. Time, yeah, so I did that I mean, it doesn't sound. It's, it's not surprising to hear that. It's really sad to hear that. But um, yeah, it's not. It's not surprising yeah. um, at all.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, I was told when I was an actor, I, I was told, "Do not tell anyone you're gay." Uh, it will work against you, you know, and and so that was noisy. Added yeah.
0: to added to all the other stuff. Added to the list. <laughs> yeah. God, but, yeah.
2: You know, I was told. You, I was told. Someone said to me, uh, "You don't seem gay, so oh. the world's not going perci- to or, or the viewers or the audience aren't going to perceive you as gay. So you don't want to come out as gay because it's going to confuse them."
0: Oh, god! <laughs> and and then like probably you know, like. You know, I guess change the roles that you're like. Oh, are you only allowed to have gay roles because you know that's what you get cast? Yeah, because they'll
1: know. Like it's
0: yeah.
2: You know that the people that people are stupid and that they could never accept the fact that I was but acting you, yeah. and not playing myself. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> oh,
0: God. So so
2: I, I so I was an actor for I think seven years. I did some really cool jobs. Like I uh, I worked at the Globe theater but did wow. did some shakespeare uh, that's just that's just really so fun. cool because
0: like it's such an iconic thing like that's amazing yeah.
2: yeah yeah that was fun although i suffered with severe panic attacks during that uh, oh
0: my god no <laughs> so not I, fun. I did struggle I, <sighs> yeah
2: and and i did a play at the donball warehouse which was always a dream of mine and then i uh did i did a show on the west end and then we went to broadway with it in america which was really fun yeah. um a very chaotic time for me I was sort of <laughs> drinking and drugging quite heavily which was you know seemed all fun and games at the time but actually it was all part of a real thing where I was just really struggling with the whole industry and then I came back and I did a cool play with Nicole Kidman who is Amazing. a wonderful person an incredible Australian. actress Australian, we we'll you know, oh the, yeah we love our
0: Nick oh my god
2: our Nick yeah just the most yeah. honestly the most beautiful person I I just loved working with her and weirdly it so when I was like 10 I think it was 10 when Moulin Rouge came out and I would dance around my bedroom yeah. to those songs and then I was just there and I play with her and you know she was just the most kind and generous and fiercely committed and talented woman
1: oh, cool. and I loved
2: that and and then after that finish the wheels sort of came off for me and I I just wasn't coping well um and to cut a long story short I I changed careers because it just wasn't making me happy and I realized I was just in it to against my own wishes in a way to try and fulfill other people's expectations of me
0: yeah 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 and that takes us back to where we started yeah and we've covered from there um that's that's amazing thank you for sharing that with us and like being so open and sharing your experiences um as well
2: but you know like I just will reiterate that my experience with drama school was my own but I also do feel like that is a reflection of happy head you know that that idea was born from it in terms of it is true that systems can make people do very strange things Mm. uh against their own will yeah Yeah. Yeah.
1: when you're in it and yeah and then yeah. Almost, you know. <laughs> as we said, we've gone back and we talked about a bit about your experiences, of mental healthness and now obviously a writer and everything. And then back to it because the film adaptation of this book has already, like, the rights have already been solved, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah which is
0: amazing. I was going to yeah. ask you about your publication journey first, but let's
1: let's oh, talk.
0: Yeah. About, let's. Oh talk, well, well actually,
2: should I? Should I join me to lead up? Yeah, into let's it? Yes, let's do about... about your,
0: I think, yeah, I think, like, tell us a little bit how, so when we sort of left off talking about the book, you changed careers, you're writing away furiously, um, working furiously, and then, yeah, how do you go from manuscript to published book, what was your journey like?
2: Right, so that... I had no connection, I had absolutely no idea how to get a book published, I knew, you know, diddly squat about it, and, you like, I can get like in a play, but verses. I can't
0: get a book published. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I couldn't even get in a play, um, but, I, I, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd written, so, first thing you've got to do is write the thing, yeah. right, you can't, you know, if it's a, if it's a fiction novel, the way it works in England is, you can't, submit an idea you've yeah. got to write it no you know? not as a debut either.
1: and then definitely not
2: yeah i think if it's if it's non-fiction you can approach Do pr- proposal agents with your yeah with your yeah. proposal but anyway i digress so i'd <laughs> written this massive thing and i and i was like wrote those words the end yeah done it <laughs> and then and then i was like googling what happens now <laughs> <laughs> and um you know you have to get an agent basically i mean you can self-publish which is a wonderful way of doing things but i wanted to work on someone else and really perfect it and uh so i i submitted basically the way it works mostly is you'd send the first three chapters of your book with a covering letter and a synopsis to agents and i sent my first three chapters and Covering their own synopsis to, I think, about I know, 40 or 50 agents because I was just like, let's try and do this, don't know what else to do. So I just made a list oh, of as many as I could and sent them. And then it was this just bizarre time of like waiting and checking my phone and receiving responses, and um, loads of people saying no, you know, like, or no, or nobody saying anything. And, and you know, but then people, so some, some people sort of gradually saying, oh, can I have the whole manuscript? And then you'd send the whole thing and then you'd wait even longer because they'd have to read the whole thing. But so it was this weird time of like, you sort of getting shot with arrows of like, no, yeah, no, don't know, maybe. And, and then I met, so I, I sent this, my manuscript to a lady called Becky Bagnall. And literally the next day she called me, which hadn't happened before. Usually, they'll respond to the email because I put my number at the bottom with like a, a little headshot. <laughs> like, this is me. Just so, yo, know, put a face to an a name. Um, and she called me. So I've read the first three chapters. Do not sign with anyone else. I'm going to finish it over the weekend. And then we're going to talk on Monday. Wow. And, and I feel we like, did Yes,
0: yes, I'm dashing off the agents. Oh, I'll I'll. Call, like, you better get <laughs> no, back to, to me because. Yeah. Oh like I'll see. <laughs> no, I, I my uh, response if would be like If you, oh well, you haven't
2: finished it <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't finished it by Monday but, No, um I was just like, Whoa, what is happening? So then we spoke on the Monday and she just the way she talked about it, you know, she she was bringing out all the things that we're talking about now really, yeah. which is about sort of personal development and sort of being able to be true to who you are and, and she was just so so passionate about it that I was like let's do this and, and you know we signed together and then we worked together on the manuscript uh, for about I think oh, I can't really remember I think it was about six months that we mm-hmm. cut bits out it was quite long <laughs> uh, and uh, you know she, so the way it worked for me I don't know this is my own journey where it I'm very new to it but she would sort of which basically just fill me you know give me confidence about stuff that i was unsure about and be like yeah really hone in on that bit and and or let's make more of this bit or let's cut that we don't need that you know uh, and so we work together on that and then what happens is your agent will then submit your manuscript to publishers and then the whole sort of waiting game sort of starts Stop, again yeah. <laughs> it um, and there. then the same
1: thing again yeah
2: yeah and then, and then we met with publishers. And then I met with Rock the Boat, who are an independent publisher here in the UK, who also publish in Australia. Um, and I loved them. The reason I loved them is because some publishers wanted to change. Oh no! I should be careful. Some publishers liked it, but they wanted to make it more palatable <laughs> oh, okay. because the, the 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 underlying themes of the of the bad baddie let's just say that yeah you know a, a, a quite dark yeah uh, and whereas we what sort of the boat were like loved that you know and I just you know Kate Jennings my wonderful editor was is very keen to always sort of lean into the uncomfortable um and I work with a wonderful assistant editor called Molly Skull who said to me during our meeting, she said it reminds me of Utopia, which is a British TV show on Channel Four that came out in like, two thousand and ten. And when she said that, my head sort of exploded because I was—it was one of my sort of reference points oh. for the for the for the book. It's a very visual show, very bright and colourful, and and wonderfully funny and dark at the same time. Uh, so yeah, aside, so then we 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 went and rocked the boat and we worked on it together. A little bit more and then during that time you so you sort of go through this process of these proofs sort of refining and refining and then once you're really happy with a version of it, that your agent will then send it off to well this is my experience, I don't know if it's the same for everyone, will send it off to film scouts and studios and for the for the screenwrites. Yeah. So that then happened and uh This really mad, bizarre, bizarre time happened where we met with uh, with sort of film companies, and uh, it was really mad and bizarre for many reasons. But also because I'd auditioned for something (laughs) or as an actor, (laughs) and just sort of like
1: crumpled
2: under the. (laughs) Yeah, hey guys, remember how shit I was?
1: (laughs) I'm back. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
2: and then so Taryn, I was at drama school with Taryn. Um, I did. And... I did say
0: to Caitlin, like, I was like, I wonder if that's where they knew each other. <laughs> I was trying to. Mm-hmm. I was getting my stalk yes. on today, and was like, trying. Yeah, to like, she really was, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> um, finishing
1: off.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so... Yeah.
0: I promise, I'm not so. I'm not no. usually so stalky, but um, yeah. We had I, to. So I'm just going to change
2: the locks on my door. <laughs> um, yeah. So. He read it and... Uh, because I
0: noticed the endorsement he, quote on the, the cover of the proof and stuff as well.
2: Yeah, he was really... He loved it. Like, it was not, and but, but we were meeting with other people as well, so yeah. we went this really weird time where we didn't speak to each other for a month <laughs> because we had to sort of keep it professional, <laughs> which was odd because he's a, a really good friend, you know, and, and he's such a wonderful human being. He's really supported me throughout my whole life and been part of my journey, really. And he's just always been the most supportive person anyway. Then I met with this team from Range Media Partners, uh, and and they were in these big fancy offices in, in LA, you know, And I was in Salford, Manchester, and it was mad. And it's now under development by them to be made into a film. Yeah,
0: yeah amazing. Um, and... <laughs> Yeah, was it like was it quite nice then to have like a bit of full circle moment of of sort of yeah, exploring all that stuff from your life but now you get to do the film bit with a friend too.
2: Yeah, it was. I, I I'll I'll be honest with you it it was a very odd feeling of things sort of coming together, you know, yeah. and sort of felt felt right and meant to be. Um well, like i said very early stages there's not much i can say about it more than that at no. this point and, because
1: i mean we know, you know these things, things are on the but... so long to come together but the fact yeah, that depends, the rights are already yeah. sold and you know it's in some mm-hmm. kind of development is a very good sign because often it's these things go nowhere anyway so i just definitely hope it goes somewhere because you can see it when you read the book like it would be so cool Oh, yeah. thank you. But especially for especially for a YA novel that's not
0: out of the US, like, that's an amazing yeah. achievement. So, yeah, it's it's, thank it's you. absolutely amazing.
2: Well, I, I just want to say thank you for saying you, that you can see it when you read it, yeah. because I write quite visually. So, uh, as you both read the book, and I, yeah. uh, and I write in sort of scenes. The book is sort of in, in scenes in, in real time, isn't it? Like, you're yeah. seeing it through Seb's eyes. And and I think uh, maybe that's why people responded to it visually for the, for the – Medium of screen is because it is visual, and I'm really pleased about that. And and, and I'm so so glad you said that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel no, like you, can yeah. you can see it because you can see their like their sort of clean, boring rooms and the screens that you know read them their messages in the morning and all the different shades of green <laughs> that all the different groups yeah. are wearing. Like, oh, good, yeah, yeah, it's it'll be really cool. I do hope to watch it. I one can't day. wait. To,
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you can. Answer, <laughs> I don't know if you can answer this question, but um, we sort of saw on the thing that Taryn won't be acting in it. But if you could pick anyone, like you're in the casting room, who would your like total dream pick for Seb and Finn be?
2: Um, do you know what I'd really love if if that they could be people that we don't know. Yeah. Yes. That, that they're not sort of already established. Part of me would love that, but who knows? Mia said, Mia said, I'll play that. Page okay. me down with CGI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, what are you saying? Didn't they do that in Dear Evan Hansen? Did you see the film of that? Yeah, that, they, they, oh, they I really wanted
1: that. that one to be better. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think they made him younger. Uh, they tried, and I CGI think they did or... all the
1: wrong things. They...
2: Ah, okay, I haven't seen it, oh. but I mean, yeah, I don't think I don't think I, I'm a little I'm a little fifteen years too old. But...
0: <laughs> maybe you can 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 you maybe like be one of the um oh my god what are they called like the supervisor the overalls yeah yeah. Get in there I, somehow. I am
2: staying away from artists. <laughs> I, I will, not, no, you I need will a, not.
0: I feel like you need a
1: cameo. If you don't like want how, to,
0: Josh, that's like Julie. No, not if you don't want to, but I do <laughs> love when an author has a cameo in them, like when Julie Murphy is like at the end of Dumplin' and like just little, like I always think that's quite cool. Oh. Little Easter eggs.
2: I always remember uh, Erin Brockovich. She's the waitress at the end,
0: yeah. isn't she? And,
2: uh, uh, I, she
0: in, said, um, I think it was the same person who did Queer As Folk, but in It's a Sin, like one of the real women who inspired the story plays like one of the character's yeah. mums. And I love stuff like that. What a brilliant yeah.
2: show that is. Oh, hey? my God. What a lovely yeah. show I actually is.
0: think that um, there's a new Australian drama coming out soon called In Our Blood, which I think is like a similar, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to explore the AIDS epidemic in australia um oh, which wonderful. will be really interesting but i'd love like, to read that yeah no i think it's coming out on tv um in a few months or like maybe okay. soon and usually they do they end up showing australian stuff in the uk sometimes as well so it'll probably bet i'm i don't know whether i'm ready to have my heart broken again because it's a sin was still not quite recovered from that that was Really traumatic. Um, it was yeah. beautiful though, yeah. but yeah, it's uh, it's a lot to watch. Um, <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, but so
2: wonderful to see these channels and taking hold of this, the stories that were so shameful to people for such a long time and yeah, and, and, exactly. and telling them you know and so, actually I
0: think to come yeah. to to mention briefly again John and Johannes as dancers I think what a lot of people really appreciated was that they weren't just doing like traditionally masculine dances like they were doing waltz holds and they were doing things that you know yeah. it wasn't just yeah. oh there's two men doing they weren't attempting
2: dance. to make it
0: yeah Manly, yeah. You know? yeah yeah they were doing those things as well and i think it is all i mean i guess like there's still a lot of progress to be made in a lot of different areas but the small bits are adding up hopefully you know and it is you know
2: we're on the right path yeah. a long way to go yeah for yeah. Sure. On the right
0: yeah. Path. yeah
1: yeah yeah oh my goodness um, thank you for such a great yeah thank chat you sauce. this has been so, so good. much fun Thank you for so much. For... I can't remember
2: anything yeah, i said. Thank you for...
0: <laughs> no, that's whenever I've been interviewed on a podcast or something for like work stuff, I've just like, Pfft, I don't know what I've said. Yeah. You just get into <laughs> like the zone and you're like, yeah. But
1: yeah, yeah.
2: thank you. For... Yeah. It's been so lovely to talk to you about. Thank you for your wonderful questions and for, for sort of, you know, I've really enjoyed talking to you I mean, you both, not to uh, be too much of so, a people
0: pleaser, but we, especially I, pride myself on our questions. So I'm very glad that you enjoy them. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> they are brilliant questions and just, you know, really, really lovely that you've sort of taken from the book what I, I really wanted people to. And, you know, this book isn't for a specific demographic. It, I, I hope that everyone can relate to Seb in a way. And it seems that you both did. And, and I, I'm just really grateful that you you sort of got something from it and that you'd have me on here to talk about yeah. it. I'm oh. sorry for rambling on so much. Oh no, oh we Never, never apologize
0: so for that. Much. And we, yeah, we really appreciate you, especially sharing some stuff that like, you know, being so honest about your experiences and stuff. I know that's always, it can never be easy to be like, Hey, let me mine your trauma for my podcast. But thank you for, <laughs> thank you for sharing. I think I
2: willingly, willingly, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't I didn't people please it and, and you know I, I, I it's important for me to, to to sort of show that this story is is personal because yeah. uh other, other people I'm sure uh, other young people will be feeling how I did and, and I, I do want them to understand that, that that's okay you know
0: um and just before we sort of wrap things up uh, we should just mention it is A series. It is the first book in a series. So, are you currently working on the on the second one?
2: So I have my laptop up, and behind the the browser is (laughs) book two, which I'm gonna get.
0: Because I didn't realise it was a series, and I closed it and I was like immediately like, is there another one? Oh my god!
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I've nearly finished it. I've probably got just a little bit more to do, and then. That will be out early 2024. So yeah, Seb, Eleanor and Finn, continue. We'll see.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, so I, was, yeah, I was hoping we'd see more of Finn. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you it was please a pleasure. let people know where they can find and follow you online?
2: So I am on Instagram at smudgecotton, uh, S M U D G E C O T T. O-N, which was the name of when I was 14 years old I used to go up into my friend's mum's closet and put her clothes on and come downstairs as this brassy northern woman called Smudge Cotton <laughs> so that's where that comes from <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: that's incredible uh, uh,
2: so that's where you can find me my Instagram page I'm not on any other social media platforms social media makes my head spin out and makes yeah. me feel a bit sick sometimes so I just keep it to that yeah. and yeah, follow for updates if you want that's it yeah awesome. yeah
0: wonderful and uh yeah we've said the book is out now um and yeah everyone can go and enjoy
1: it thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on instagram at better words pod and follow me michelle at unfinished bookshelf and me
0: caitlin at just a bookish babe if you liked this episode please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review